0: Hey guys, it's Melissa. You know when you have one of those conversations that you just don't want it to end? Well, that's what it was like with my two guests that I have on this week's episode of Beyond the Smile. And because we didn't want it to end, we had to split it into two weeks. So check out part 1 of my interview with Loretta and Babette, but make sure you circle back next week so you can hear the ending of our great discussion. Hope y'all are doing well thanks again for tuning in hello everyone and welcome to another episode are you good Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. Today, I have such a delightful friend with me, Catherine Lazen. Welcome, Catherine. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thank
0: you, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm
1: so happy to be part of this project and this conversation.
0: Very excited to have you here. So if you can tell the listeners a little bit about... Um, who you are, what you do, kind of a little bit about your story, um, and then we'll dive right in. Okay. Uh, For,
1: um, I guess since 1990, I have been working as an educational psychologist, an educator. Um, I've really been an expert in the way that children develop and learn and um, develop creativity and, um, and In late in life, I got my MSW after working in schools and communities, um, really uh, teaching teaching people how to activate their own potential Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. learners. Um, And Mm -hmm. so then late in life, I got an MSW interested in the power of healing and self-healing and really understanding the social and emotional needs of people of all ages. So I worked in schools as a social worker, a school social worker. I taught social skills to children. I worked with parents and parenting. um, And I did some clinical work with uh, Mm -hmm. mental illness in school settings. And now I moved from New Jersey, uh, where I was that school social worker. And I moved with my husband to Portland, Oregon, where I'm now in private practice. And I work with people of all ages in, you know, a kind of a varied practice. I do marriage counseling and family counseling and parenting coaching. And I work with children. Hopefully when um, COVID is over, they can come and do some sandplay therapy with me. Mm -hmm. And
0: so that's where I'm at. Very fun. And and I understand your your relocation was kind of sudden um, but uh, it sounds like you're thriving and really excited to be in this new region and this new chapter and just having even in the midst of a pandemic just a new adventure
1: yes and the reason it was uh, sudden is because the real estate market driven by covid was such that my husband and i could afford to live a dream so, and that is to enjoy the Pacific Northwest. And so we sold our little house where we raised our children and we've made our relationship a priority and um, just to live intentionally. And so while I appreciate the, the struggle and the tragedy and um, you know, I, I, that's the, the theme of, the, of what our my families and children have been managing, for me personally, it was, I saw it as an opportunity to live more intentionally. So mm-hmm. it was, a, it was a blessing in that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, it, it's taking lemons and making lemonade or finding exactly. that silver lining, you know, whatever analogy when used and saying, okay, well, Hey, you know, let's take advantage of this opportunity. Yes. Well, since you've been in education and then transitioned into social work um, in a school setting and now in a private practice setting, what has surprised you most in that transition as being one of the greatest challenges of just your role going from educator to now clinician?
1: Um, I'm so glad you asked that question. And I've been contemplating what I might share with you that's behind my smile. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the biggest challenge moving from that role um, to that of clinician and and more specifically, the role of social worker, which as as those in the mental health world may know is really about the person and environment Mm-hmm. And so the training as a social worker, I was exposed to the history of social policy. And you know, I studied racism and oppression and the dynamics of oppression and power. And so to answer your question, the, the most surprising and most difficult um, discovery was that of reality. Mm-hmm. And so a late in life MSW student, and now clinician, um, I am so more deeply aware of the complexity and suffering of the human experience. And so there were just so many things as a as a privileged white person with an education, and working in, in a job with, with, for the most part, neuro typical, um, not neurodivergent children. Um, you, you know, the, this, the, the stuff of human suffering was sort of outside my realm of responsibility as a professional. Um, and then, you know, as just as a human being raising children who, whose lives really went off the rails, that um, they had some mental health challenges I wasn't prepared for, I didn't understand. I didn't have the parenting skills. And suddenly the shit hit the fan with my own children. So I I was experiencing um, behavior um, and and suffering that I had never seen before. And -hmm. then as a student tasked with practicing some new evidence-based strategies in an internship, I worked with children who had abuse and neglect histories. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I was faced with the ugly side of humanity that I had never really faced with. And they were looking at me within inches away. And so um, it was a real shock to the system to really grasp the extent to which the truly vulnerable, uh, and that when I mean vulnerable, in my little universe, three to eight-year-olds,
0: yeah,
1: with who had been um, sexually abused, um, mm-hmm. was really a, a, a really a a, a powerful um, and destabilizing experience. All the while, my children were, um, you know, in uh, inpatient and mental health hospitals. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, smoking weed. They were. Um, doing all kinds of things that we weren't getting along. I, I mm-hmm. it, it just was a very dark time. Yeah. So um, to, to answer your question, just to truly understand what are the historical details? What are the mm-hmm. facts, mm-hmm. not the perceptions, but what are the mm-hmm. facts that affect people of color? Mm-hmm. Our, our ugly history of our housing policies that have mm-hmm. marginalized people, um, what are the dynamics of poverty that have really created this wealth divide? Mm-hmm. Um, what What are the elements of our toxic capitalist, corporate-driven society um, that are sort of perpetuating this sort of blissful ignorance for mm-hmm. a lot of us who don't suffer um, mm-hmm. in those ways? So, um, I, I I have I I don't I I hope I'm not talking too much, but I. I just, to answer that question, it was just the, the having the information and then sitting with it, sitting mm-hmm. with my own role in sort of perpetuating the, the, the systemic racism, how mm-hmm. I benefited from it, um, and then sitting with the, the, the suffering and the pain within my own family, and then working in that role and understanding my role, not as a quote white savior, but as a, as a facilitator in activating hope or activating uh, resilience and mm-hmm. using tools to um, use the opportunities of neuroplasticity to, to set a course of healing and hopefully better outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. That was hard and surprising. I just didn't understand what I was getting into
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: And, on the other hand, the potential for enormous rewards to be mm -hmm. in that role.
0: Right. But even in listening to you say like this was a shock after being in education for all these years, but making that transition with in and working with these babies because three to eight year olds, they're still babies, you know, and they're innocent little souls that have been impacted in such a way um, that really you know, shatters that innocent foundation at such a very young age. Um, But then to deal with your family stuff, to me, it's like, wow, all of these things all at once. I can understand how when you said it was a very dark time. Um, But I think it's something that when you're in your graduate program, we think of like, okay, I'm gonna have to deal with family stuff. Yeah, okay, my family's not perfect, I'm human. I'm gonna have to deal with trauma with my clients. Absolutely, it's part of the job. I'm going to have to deal with societal issues and injustices. Absolutely, that's part of what we stand for as social workers. Um, But when that perfect storm happens and it hits you all at once, um, that's a very overwhelming place to be for anybody and still getting up every day and functioning, doing what you need to do for your kids and then doing what you need to do for the kiddos that you're working with.
1: That's right. Um, and here's another thing I wasn't quite prepared for. And and that was, I, I, I sort of thought going into this new career and with the training that, I, that, the, that the way I would change is that I would have deepened understanding and mm-hmm. new tools, new theoretical frameworks, mm-hmm. um, And skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I also wasn't prepared for is how my identity would change.
0: Wow! And in what what ways? That's such an interesting mm -hmm. statement.
1: Well, um, a couple things. Uh, You know, I I I really took to heart that idea that that it is not my responsibility to save or rescue. Um, I saw myself more as a facilitator instead Mm -hmm. of a, a quote unquote expert. Uh, I understand. I th- understood the role of my own humility, um, mm-hmm. and how how that could really be a superpower in a clinical relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but here's here was the, the real um, painful sort of identity, um, not crisis, but experience. And and uh, and I was really inspired by the words of a guy named Chris Hedges.
0: Okay. Chris
1: Hedges. Chris Hedges is a journalist. And um, and and also a um, a consultant who worked for many years um, in collapsing societies around the world. Like he he is an expert in totalitarian societies, and he's now currently a seminarian. So he's a religious guy. He understands the the, the dynamics of societal collapse and the ways in which capitalist societies disintegrate. Um, and so when I talk about myself, I'm gonna make reference to this guy because I think he he says it better than I can. Mm-hmm. But, but part of my identity that changed was my identity as a religious person. And so when, when, um, when you talk to other mental health practitioners um, mm-hmm. and we talk about self-care and what's behind the smile and and our own sort of struggles as human beings in this role, and, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of practitioners um, recharge their batteries and their self-care is, is um, the source of that is their faith. Mm-hmm. And for me, my faith was, was really rocked. And, and so I began to see um, my identity as a lifelong Episcopalian, mm-hmm. as a real impediment to hope believe it or not, in an ironic way. And and this guy, Chris Hedges, said it best when he said um, that you can't talk about hope if you don't talk about reality. Um, he, 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 he said that um, that he, he he said that that It's not hope if you are expressing hope through illusion and fantasy. And when I would go to church every Sunday, hoping to recharge my batteries after working with a little girl who was defecating in her pants because it was a way for her to protect herself from a potential sexual assault. Um, And I found myself sort of in a rote way following the prayers of the people that were sort of generalized acknowledgement of human suffering um, and, and no real connection to the truth and reality of it. And then passing the peace and having coffee hour mm-hmm. and seeing people wearing their Sunday best, um, I felt that I was participating in a real sort of um, the, the, a delusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that sort of cheerful optimism with the hymns were was not rooted in reality. Um, and I think that at least from my perspective or my experience, um, I was discouraged from the critical thinking, the, the questions that are about faith, the, 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 the pushing, the, 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 the critical thinking that the humanities taught me in my background as an English major before I went into education. Um, and that you know in some ways I was punished for questioning this idea that Jesus loves the little children. And um, you know what where where what, what what where does the reality of social injustice and racism as I looked around and I saw white faces and no discussion of privilege. And um, so I, I, I really thought that for me, what was most important for, for behind my smile, behind in my suffering, what I most needed was just a kernel of hope to keep going. There's so much suffering that to me, what, what I hold on to the only tether here is, is hope. And, right. um, and it, at least then Mm-hmm. And so for my, for, for me, for my, uh, the identity, it was that I, I thought I, I decided at that time that I could no longer be a Christian and get what I needed. Mm-hmm. And that I felt as though that it in some ways was an impediment and that the whole paradigm was, um, was, was very much like what this guy, Chris Hedges was talking about, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. this kind of corporate state, this, this um, kind of insidious, Uh, structure that was intended to diminish critical thinking Mm -hmm. uh, and to um, to sort of obfuscate truth and reality Mm -hmm. um, in Mm -hmm. order to sort of deepen our sense of self uh, of meaning and to Mm -hmm. self and um, and it, it it in some ways um abdicate helped people abdicate responsibility for service which is the very core of Christianity mm-hmm. so for for those who may listen to this podcast mm-hmm. in its in and of itself the the, the Christian um, paradigm is is mm-hmm. about service and bearing the cross and about your neighbor
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yet in my experience and my identity as as standing in that room going through mm-hmm. the, the Nicene Creed and the prayers of the people, right. That was lost for me. So all this to say, in in my identity cri- crisis, I realized that what I most needed um, was 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 both hope and also what we talk about in in DBT skills, dialectical mm-hmm. behavioral therapy, is radical acceptance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so the concept of radical acceptance has led me to. Pursue some Buddhist thought, some mm-hmm. Buddhist thought about um, y- you know easing of suffering and understanding radical acceptance. Because with the Jesus loving all the children, there there was a there 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 was no room for at least intellectually for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, for the reality of 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 the the children the the, the black and brown children. Who somehow were not benefiting from Jesus's protection and, and mm-hmm. love, right? And mm-hmm. and so the, the 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 paradigm of Buddhism for me, at least in this moment, um, mm-hmm. is behind my smile and in the midst of my suffering, the 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 two pieces that I need for self care, which is is the hope and and the mm-hmm. and the and the peace. Um, and in, in, ironically, that that peace that passes understanding that we uh-huh. we talk about in in my religious uh, uh, Christian prayer, the peace that passes understanding for me is uh, the source of that is some Buddhist uh-huh. uh, practice, some mindfulness practice that was really missing in Christianity. So. Um, That's what I mean. And I know that's a long answer and I apologize.
0: (laughs) No, no need to apologize whatsoever because I think going into this field, it changes all of us in so many different ways. And a lot of the ways that we anticipate is going to change us um, are more awareness and empathy and understanding. Um, And it's not in the sense of, I'm going to have an identity of faith crisis and really need to kind of dig deep and and reevaluate why I believe what I believe and how I can make sense of what I do every single day, and what my spiritual or faith walk looks like, whether it's organized religion or your spiritual relationship and connections. Um, And so I think that's so important to really dive into the fact that identity changes um, they can come out of left field and surprise us. And that was probably not any, okay, I'm, I'm in education. I'm gonna go get my MSW and then, oh my gosh, I'm gonna walk away from organized religion as I've always known it. I, I don't think that was on your, you know, three-step plan <laughs> for right. my career change. That's right. um, but to be able to get to that point of that piece And to instill hope, both on that personal level, but also clinically and professionally.
1: Right. And then also being able to let go of the the pride or the attachment to mattering um, Mm -hmm. or the sense of ego around being an effective parent. Mm-hmm. Because here I am, the, the irony of the, is that I'm, I am a parent coach. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is that I, in some ways, was a deeply ineffective and unproductive parent. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the skills mm-hmm. that, I, that, I, that I have now. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the truth of it is that even if I'd had the skills, it, it may not have been within my power to control what choices that my pa- my children made and that right. it wasn't necessarily about me. And so then part of my identity is sort of with this later in life wisdom and this new training is mm-hmm. to be able to look at who I thought I once was mm-hmm. and and sort of let go of the attachment to it and, and, mm-hmm. and the mattering of it. I mean, I, I so much wanted to matter as a person who gave somebody a good childhood mm-hmm. But if their narrative is that they're, they're at least parts of their chil- childhood were painful mm-hmm. uh, and that i couldn't protect that or i couldn't mm-hmm. change that mm-hmm. it, it is it, it's a it's a painful and sort of profoundly disappointing thing to have to sit with mm-hmm. um yeah
0: because it, it almost feels like um and, and this is my perception, so correctly if I'm wrong, but even in my journey as a parent, you know, almost feeling like you've failed in some yeah. way, yes. even though intellectually, you know, you haven't failed. <laughs> it's that, you know, that internal connection of, oh my gosh, you know, I must have failed because if I didn't, then why did this happen? you know, or was this choice made? So to be able to have that disconnect, I think is huge. First of all, um, how awesome, as far as relieving that, that guilt that I know a lot of parents carry around, let alone the professional guilt of, I have the book knowledge, but you know, where was my execution? Um, and how can I do it with a client, but I can't do it with my own kid. And, and why why does it work that way
1: that's right yeah it's it really it's um you know and i feel like this like this work is is um has been such a privilege mm-hmm. you know just to because i think in unexpectedly um just as the msw training has been sort of therapeutic both mm-hmm. you know personally and spiritually because you know, that assault of reality and that, you know, really intimate relationship with human suffering is, you know, it is so uncomfortable. And yet it is, um, it's expansive, um, I think. But behind the smile is, 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 a, you know, a real acknowledgement of the enormity
0: of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Given that you know one of the things we talk a lot about is professional boundaries, and one of the reasons why I wanted to really start this conversation um, with this podcast and and hopefully future seasons to come is, you know, to really get to the place of realizing that yes, there's professional boundaries. Know your clients don't need to know your life story, and that you had a horrible morning at home, and you know you had that kind of morning wait let me tell you about how my morning was like that's that's not effective it's not professional it's not therapeutic it's not what we do you know it's definitely not ethical um but there's almost this disconnect of you know and you use the superpower word like back as you were like starting in your msw career you know having this vision but it's almost like we need to put on this different facade when we walk into the office and there's such a disconnect between our life at home, our life at work and how we perceive ourselves in between. So how does your experience as a mama, the good, the bad, the ugly, impact your work as a parenting coach now, even without sharing your full story with everybody you work with?
1: Well, that definite, that, that, those professional boundaries are, um, are absolutely critical in ethical Mm -hmm. and effective clinical work. However, I had my own therapist when, um, when I was as a parent,
0: because um, mm-hmm. you were smart, yeah. well, <laughs> and realized you needed some support. <laughs>
1: well I did I didn't see her as much as I should have. and so on the on the one of the handfuls of time, <laughs> I called up in a moment of desperation. What I did notice about her that I thought was effective and that I learned is the power of self of, uh, of use of self, mm-hmm. that there were some, that there were some stories that she told that were mm-hmm. illustrative, that were metaphors, that were helpful in seeing mm-hmm. things from a new perspective. So mm-hmm. there were a, a handful of times where she told a story of parenting mm-hmm. um, that were so powerful. And so the power of story, I think definitely can, um, mm-hmm. can if, if used carefully and uh, intentionally can be helpful. Right. But also I can uh, use my experiences as it, because we've all had that um, the the hindsight is 20 2020. Oh my gosh, and, yes. Mm-hmm. And so if so I can use my 2020 as it a, as an opportunity for a conversation to help mm-hmm. guide people to the their own discovery of the, mm-hmm. you know, so the 2020 can happen for them really a little closer to the moment. Um, right so i use my own experience all the time Mm -hmm. um and and in one subtle way part of the suffering and the anxiety that was interfering with my own um parenting was caring so much like that Mm -hmm. that that i love my children so deeply and Mm -hmm. i wanted them to have a uh, um a trauma-free Mm -hmm. childhood you know i wanted so badly to protect them The, the the deep wanting the attachment to the avoiding the suffering and avoiding all of that like i i i so relate to that and it and and that relationship to the attachment of it and the worry and the anxiety of it helps me address that with parents
0: yeah um Because you know what that feeling is, and how deep that feeling is, and how overwhelming that feeling is, and how visceral that feeling is. And, you know, and I think sometimes until you walk through some of your own pain and experiences as a parent, as just an individual living in our society, um, you don't understand the level that that pain can hit. And, you know, when you've walked through that and been able to get to the other side, there's a whole different level of understanding, um, even without sharing your story um, of how to connect with somebody who's in the midst of that pain.
1: And also, I think, Personally, it is a little bit therapeutic or um, it, it's a way for my life and my own sort of suffering with, with mm-hmm. my own kids to, to have meaning. If I'm able in the mm-hmm. moment where a parent with a child on the autism spectrum is telling me, we can't leave the house because he can't mm-hmm. put his socks on mm-hmm. because the socks are driving this kid crazy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now he's not getting to t-ball practice we can't, we, we can't, we're held hostage by this. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I have a flashback of those kinds of sensory overload, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, spectrum-y kinds of meltdowns, and I'm able to say, well, what if, remember that the power of surprise or the, the, the power of distraction can mm-hmm. kind of interrupt that mm-hmm. sort of amygdala response. And mm-hmm. what if you did something silly, like had the baby powder or the cornstarch powder be the, the the magic fairy dust that mm-hmm. is going to you know or, or maybe the the, so- the soccer sock can become a um a puppet you mm-hmm. know that has a mm-hmm. life of its own that can start speaking in a silly way and I'm you know I'm, and right there I've pulled my sock up and there I am on camera with a little sock on my hand right. uh-huh. and these are all moments that you know i even a year after those experiences with my own children Mm -hmm. i thought oh man if i'd only had you know done this with my sock or Mm -hmm. you know i Mm -hmm. had this baby powder in my cabinet i wonder Mm -hmm. what would have happened if i just sprinkled a little on that cute little tootsie i mean Mm -hmm. maybe we could have gone to soccer that what if what if what if if, um
0: right yeah the woulda coulda shouldas and to be able to kind of problem solve through that and to be able to share that with another parent who may be dealing with a different situation but could benefit for some like yeah. hindsight creativity right. going into that absolutely right. and
1: so it's almost it's almost like a you know a, a do-over in some ways yeah. so mm-hmm. an uh a, like a an aha moment or um a moment of, of, of hope that's activated, mm-hmm. some things to try, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes with par- in, in parenting, what works for a day won't work for the next day, and it's, it's you know, endless mm-hmm. need for creative problem solving, right. and, you know.
0: Yeah, completely so. agree, completely agree, What is it about our field, in your opinion, um, that we're the hardest on ourselves as clinicians, as friends, as significant others, as parents, um, as daughters, sisters, whatever role we hold, um, that we feel like we've got to have it all together. And if we don't, something something's off. That isn't something that we teach in graduate school. So, but it's it's very pervasive, you know, that a lot of clinicians seems to think that, okay, I must be doing it wrong because I have all this book knowledge.
1: Right. Okay. Well, so here's something that I don't usually tell people, but I am the descendant of Carpatho-Russian traveling grease
0: sellers okay wow so so, i learned something new every day catherine
1: (laughs) I, i know so here's something so way back when um people bought their axle grease for their horse and carriages from the grease seller and they would go from town to town and sell the axle grease and um they were storytellers and they were also priests like they they were uh, they were sort of um, they were these sort of spiritual gurus. So they they kept things they kept people moving, right? Their axle grease kept for yep. they were the facilitators of forward mm-hmm. motion,
0: literally and figuratively. Yep. Literally
1: mm-hmm. and figuratively, and generation by generation, there have been priests in my family, mm-hmm. and so I, I just was reading this thing. Um, online, and I can't even remember who, who wrote it, but about the sort of the genetic gift of, um, of, of, uh, sort of spirituality. And, um, and so when we, when we read, uh, when we learn about, um, temperament in people mm-hmm. and what's inherited, you've got the spectrum of rigidity versus flexibility. You have mm-hmm. the spectrum of, um, of, uh, of, um, of, of anxiety and, 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 and attention to detail versus mm-hmm. sort of a, a laissez-faire, like kind of whatever kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you have all those kind of hardwired temperament, birth gift kinds of sensibilities. And mm-hmm. in some ways, I think that therapists and caregivers are in that, have inherited in some way, and there's a genetic part of, of their psyche that's about caring and caregiving and or perfectionism um, and and just a highly evolved ethical kind of and now I'm going to be embarrassed is it the ego super ego is it the id which (laughs) of them that is about the um, the highly
0: ethical side? the super ego
1: okay so I think some of us are just born with a with a just a, a highly developed super ego that makes us hard on ourselves and Uh deeply caring and ethical maybe it's just our genetics, Melissa. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just the genetics. Yes. And um, one of the things I do a lot in therapy, and I'm actually considering um, for season two, doing a a deep dive into the Enneagram, um, but just talking about personality types and how, you know, I thought for sure my personality type would be a two, which is the helper because that's what I do. And I'm so not Two. um but I think it's that Who innate. Are you? Well, you're gonna have to wait till season okay. two, Catherine. Okay. <laughs> <Cliffhanger>. <laughs> I'll bring you back. Exactly, it's a cliffhanger. Um, but you know, it's that innate nature of wanting to help and to fix, and and I think it's very imperative that we collectively, as a profession, understand that a we can't fix everybody, and b if we don't, I'm gonna say fix ourselves very loosely because I don't think any of us are broken. Um, I think we just need to be tweaked. Um, But if we don't take care of us, then we can't really show up to be there for anybody else. And I think that's where some of the guilt tends to trickle in and um, really have an impact. Uh, So, but I agree with you. I think it's in our blood. That's what attracts us to this field. That's why we want to dive in. You know, that's why sometimes during the pandemic, I said yes to one more client because I was the 10th therapist they called and everyone was full. And, you know, I said yes, even though I really didn't have space like that's kind of why we do what we do. Yes. But at some point there needs to be that boundary to say, hey, it's okay to realize that you need a break and it's okay to realize that your kids don't have to be perfect. Um, and that's not a reflection of you as a clinician. That's right. just a reflection of you as a human. Um, and, and we all have that humanity gene that we would like to ignore, but it exists um, and it's not going anywhere.
1: Right. But Melissa, don't you agree that, I mean, the at least for me, the people I like the, the most are the ones with warts and-
0: uh, Oh, totally. Uh, Absolutely. I just, like,
1: I mean, nobody really wants to make a friend from Stepford.
0: No. I mean, the, the real- Mm-mm. Right.
1: That's like the, the Velcro, like there's mm-hmm. no traction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's no real connection with someone that is- you know, polished. There's a, there's, they're too slick. You can't, there's nothing to grab onto. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I really like that. Um, Cause there's so much truth to that. And I was even thinking as you were speaking, like, okay, it's a generational thing. We're roughly in the same generation. Well, we are in the same generational. Um, but I even think back to my twenties and even in my twenties, Um, those weren't the kind of people I gravitated towards, because I'd rather have a couple of people in my circle that have depth and grit, and I can really have deep, meaningful conversations with, than a whole bunch of people that just gloss everything over. And when the rubber meet the road, you know, when it gets really mucky, those are the ones that dart. And I think it's when you hit the roadblocks, um, whether it was when I was going through my divorce or parenting issues, or you know somebody has a traumatic illness um, or a diagnosis, that's when you really realize who those people are that are gonna show up and be there for you. And those are always the ones that have the grit and the cracks and you know
1: that it's that leonard cohen saying it's the mm -hmm. cracks are how the light gets in and
0: absolutely
1: one of my one of my biggest regrets is that in my darkest time Mm -hmm. i had some shame about the cracks and so there was a lot of darkness there was no light Mm -hmm. coming in Mm -hmm. because i hid away so that those couldn't see the cracks Mm -hmm. and so there was a long period of darkness Mm-hmm. And if only I had shown the cracks, mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. I think that, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to where I started with the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be no hope without reality. right. And so authenticity and reality,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, if it's if it's in darkness and it can't be seen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then there can be no, there can be no hope, there can be no, um, no transformation, no progress, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, anyway, this, I, I, I highly recommend this man named Chris Hedges. Um, he, he's written. And we'll put, book. yeah, we'll put
0: some book in the show notes so people can refer back yeah. and, you or, know, if or, they're driving. Or his,
1: or his video. There was a video that I saw that I found powerful okay. about, I mean, and he, he's just, um, it's, it's, about the decline of our society it's a little bit of a downer and yet yet his message is one of hope and yeah. uh, and so that's that's kind of where mm-hmm. i began mm-hmm. and this leonard cohen image of letting the light in mm-hmm. let, the cracks and um i had cracks
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i we all have
0: we all have cracks
1: but i i was ashamed yeah and i didn't mm-hmm. show them and mm-hmm. it was a period of darkness when yeah. my kids were struggling and
0: yeah and I think that knowing that we all have cracks is one thing letting people see those cracks is the other thing but I think the important piece in that is people who have earned the right to hear your story to quote Brene Brown you know those are the people that have earned the right to see those cracks Um, but that there's no there's no shame in having cracks um, because we all have them, it's just how do we acknowledge the cracks, and are they Grand Canyon whom? cracks, and or are whom? they trickles, and with whom? Absolutely, absolutely. And,
1: and to your point about working with clients, it's not impo- It's it's not it's not professional Correct. for your cracks to be in in the, the in the conversation, and yet uh, so important as clinicians to figure out how and with whom
0: to share those cracks with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been more than delightful um, having this conversation with you um, and definitely very insightful. I learned something about your history, (laughs) um, which I think is wonderful. Uh, But as sort of as a wrap up, what is one thing that um, you would want, a mental health clinician coming out of graduate school, what is one thing that you wish you would have known that day you graduated that you would like to share with our next crop of healers coming up?
1: Mm. I okay, well, when I first, um when I first was a brand new baby social worker I was I had a very uh, um, sort of rigid view of who I wanted to work with Mm -hmm. and or or what population Mm -hmm. rather and I would just say to a brand new social worker be open to let me given your skill set and your training be Mm -hmm. open to Opportunities for work with people, because I, I firmly believe that the MSW training will give you the the, the skills that you can mm-hmm. adapt, and mm-hmm. to be open to the rewards of of people or or situations or populations that you didn't initially intend to support. Mm-hmm. Um, that they can be you know really exciting. So just mm-hmm. to be open to who. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so be flexible. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to say before we close is that um, my new spiritual guru now, I did mention this guy, um, but I, I highly recommend in addition to uh, Bre- Brene Brown, who I uh-huh. love, mm-hmm. but Hema Chodron is, oh, okay. mm-hmm. is I, I love, she's a Buddhist nun who mm-hmm. has a sense of humor and mm-hmm. is, is able to make, Um, the, the Buddhist ideas that are bringing me some, the peace that passes understanding some Mm -hmm. ability to stand in that dialectic, those to that Mm -hmm. radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, but that her, her writing style and her sense of humor and her, um, her personal experiences are, have been transformative to me. So, um, that's it for other clinicians who may be sort of struggling with the same Mm -hmm. kind of, um pain associated Mm -hmm. with a Christian background or Mm -hmm. or would like another perspective. I Mm -hmm. love
0: her. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like we're going to have a lot of resources in the show notes as <laughs> well as how folks can contact you, um, in your local area. Coaching can be done, um, nationally. So that's okay. wonderful. So anybody listening can reach out and really have that connection with a parent coach who has kind of been there, done that and understands it's not always a walk in the park. Um, and then for clinical therapy in your local area. So we'll have all your your contact information in the show notes as well but it truly has been a delight having you here Catherine and since you're part of the cliffhanger for season two we'll invite you back for season two and we'll have another very wonderful chat about the Enneagram
1: oh I can't I cannot
0: wait Cause I'm right. not a two. I need to know which number I'm you are. I'm not a two. I'm not a two. <laughs> I'll I'll leave you with that. So uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. It's still morning on the West Coast. That's right. Um, and uh, once again, it was a delight having you here. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you, Melissa. All right. You take care. And for everybody, thank you again for tuning in for another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. Uh, Make sure to share with your friends and check us out next week for another exciting guest. Bye guys. Thank you everyone for listening to yet another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. I hope you enjoyed the discussion today as much as I did. Don't forget to download, like and share the episode with anyone who you feel could really benefit from the message. In addition, you can follow us on social media or you can sign up to be a part of the podcast and receive notifications of new episodes at our website beyondthesmiletribe.com. Check back next week for another exciting discussion on Beyond the Smile. Until then, Don't ever forget your worth and always remember to take care of you.